Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. We are going to uh, walk through the book of 1 Peter in the next few months. Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Around, this, uh, around the world, this book is often uh, referred to, um, looked at by a lot of people who are suffering or who are in pain, and we know nothing of that. So, yes, we know a lot of that, perhaps, after this year. Chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by many trials, by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pause there with me. <clears throat> we, uh, we hope that persecution never comes. We hope that we are never in a position because of our faith in Jesus Christ where we, where we will suffer. We hope that because we honor Jesus Christ, we serve Jesus Christ, we will never be uh, hurt by others or mocked or scorned or taken advantage of. But we know around the world, even in this day, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that face those very things on a daily basis. We know that right now in certain countries, uh, Christians are having their houses being burnt, their churches being destroyed. Uh, they're losing their jobs. Their families are abandoning them because they honor the Lord Jesus Christ. They confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we as Americans, uh, maybe your situation has been different, but I know in my life, I've never had to go through those things, had to worry about losing my family because I follow Jesus, or I've never had to, to worry about getting fired from my job because I follow Jesus. Uh, but again, around the world, it happens. And so Peter is writing to a people who are suffering in those ways. And um, they're suffering greatly. He doesn't delineate or explain exactly what their trials are. He does talk about some mocking they're experiencing. Some of the slaves by their masters are being ridiculed. But he calls their trials later on in the book fiery trials. They're going through the fire, in other words. 
And so he writes this book to encourage them. He writes this book to call them to hope. He writes this book to call them, to tell them how to live in the midst of suffering. Now, uh, it, it has a broader appeal than just persecution. It has a broader application than just walking through persecution. How do we live in the midst of suffering? How, how, do we, how do we walk as Christians who are suffering in a godly way? That's a big part of the book. When suffering, whether it's, whether it's cancer, whether it's <clears throat> job loss, whether it's you know, family brokenness, uh, when suffering comes, we can very quickly get discouraged and very quickly uh, feel like we're being destroyed and we can easily lose hope. Uh, the book of 1 Peter calls us to hope. It calls us to walk in hope. It calls us to rejoice, to live in a joy that goes beyond understanding, an inexpressible joy. And so in the coming weeks, as the preaching of the word goes forward, uh, how do we live? The, the question will be asked is, how do we live in suffering as Christians in a, in a godly way, in a good way? But today, this section that we just read, it speaks of the joy we have, even in the midst of suffering. Whatever suffering comes, we can have joy. We can have hope because of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. So let's look again at those first few verses. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's an authorized representative of Jesus Christ. He's a messenger. He's been sent by Jesus. The salutation in all these old letters start this way. And then he says to he's writing to, and this is where it gets really interesting right away, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That is, if you looked at a, a map, that'd be modern day uh, north, northern Turkey, northern and western Turkey. The way it's written, it's written in such a way that if someone was traveling through those regions, it'd be like a circuit, the way he writes the, the names in order there. Okay, so according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Let's, let's break that up a little bit. There's, there's a lot. Uh, Peter has a very economical writing style. He compresses his words a lot, and so it, it, we have to unpack some of these things. Let's start first. To those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion. The exiles in the dispersion. If you recognize from the Old Testament that language, you're, yeah, it's intentional. Peter is writing using Old Testament language to describe Israel. Remember Israel uh, in their history. Uh, after David's time, after Solomon's time, the country kind of fell apart because of, of idolatry and immorality, a civil war, two separate nations, uh, just continually crashing and burning because of their idolatry and their wickedness, their rebellion against God instead of keeping the covenant. Okay, so after a while, in the 8th century, the Assyrians came and they took the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel and they scattered the people. They were dispersed. And then in the, in the 6th century, uh, 7th century, going to the 6th century, the Babylonians came and they took the, the, the southern kingdom and they, they dispersed of Judah. They dispersed those people. And so uh, for hundreds of years after that, even to this day, the Jewish people have been dispersed around the world, like scattered seed here and there and everywhere. In Peter's day, you, anywhere you went in the Roman Empire, you'd probably find Jewish people that had been scattered. And so he, he's using that terminology intentionally because there's hope in that. Um, you are the elect exiles of the dispersion. He's speaking to Christians who are suffering. Who are you? You're the exiles of the dispersion. And an exile means you're, you're far from home. You know, you, you've been separated from your homeland. 
You're, you're not where you are yet, but there is a coming time when you will be. See, the Jewish people were promised, and after, after the dispersion, some of the prophets spoke about a coming time when they would get back to the land. They come back to the promised land. They come back to, to what God had given them. Okay, and even today, uh, the, the promises of the Old Testament, the promises of the New Testament are going to be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes back. So the, the exiles are waiting, but they know they're, they're not drifting through the world without a hope. They know they're not drifting through, they're not scattered in the world without a direction. They know they have a land. The Jewish people are promised a land. They're going to arrive at the land. And so Peter intentionally starts off talking to suffering Christians, saying, you have a land too. He's reminding them, you belong to the kingdom of heaven. You are citizens of heaven. You're not home yet. This is a, a land we're sojourning here. We're, we're temporary residents. Even if you grew up in this valley, you've lived here your whole life. Christian, you're a temporary resident of this time. Your true home is in heaven. Your true home, you're a citizen of heaven. Don't ever forget it. When people mock you or scorn you because your faith in Jesus Christ, remember who you are. Right? If you suffer, if you go through trials and tribulations, understand that this is a normal part of a messed up world, a broken, bent world. One day God is going to make everything straight. One, thing, everything, one day God's going to make everything right. You're not home yet. You're a citizen's heaven. Right now, remember, you're just a sojourner. You're just passing through. You're in exile waiting to go home. So as this world keeps throwing its fiery darts at you, as this world keeps stepping on you and crushing you and, and ruining your plans and your dreams, Remember, this world that we're in right now is never meant, <laughs> after the fall, we have no expectations it's going to be perfect. But we do have an expectation of a homecoming that is going to be glorious, and we're going to be part of a world that is perfect. You are exiles and strangers. Don't you forget it. The first word before that, the way the ESV breaks it up, to those who are elect, you're not, any, not only exiles and strangers in this world, scattered among this world, you're the elect. Now, another word for that is chosen. When the Bible uses the word elect or chosen, it means that there's been a group separated out from a wider group. A wider group of all humanity, a group separated out from a wider group, an elect, a chosen people. Now, this, this is a term uh, uh, that, that Peter is using in, in such a way that he wants them to know You've been chosen by God. You are part of God's family now. Whatever, whatever the majority see, the, the Christians that are scattered and dispersed, they're a great minority. They're a very small minority in these. In North, northern Turkey, a lot of rural areas, a lot of far-flung places that they're scattered in. And they're, they're alone in these places. And, and there isn't apparently a widespread persecution, but it, but it happens on a normal basis. And... And uh, it's hard to live as a, as a minority, hard to live alone. And so Peter says, guess what? You've been chosen. God has chosen. And, and the way that this flows, according to the verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, you are the elect according, the chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so here's a, a deeper word, a word that can be very controversial, a ver word that can be very difficult um, 
Let me just give you two of the, the, the bigger ideas of what the word means. Through church history, in, in layman's terms, and very, in, in, you know, very, again, he's using very economical language. Let me, let me narrow it down. There's two big views of what foreknowledge is in church history. The first one has to, it starts with God's, God's uh, being outside of time, okay? We live, we live in a time-bound place. We, we look at our past, that was history to us. We're in the present now, and we, we're moving towards a future. We think about the future in certain ways. We imagine what the future will be. Because God created the heavens and the earth, God is outside of time. He's in the place of the eternal now. He sees tomorrow just as he saw yesterday, just as he sees now. And so foreknowledge has this idea of God looking into the future like in his present, he sees he sees people that he, you know, this, this idea of being chosen. The first idea of, of foreknowledge is that God looked into the future and he saw people that would, when they heard the gospel, they would believe the gospel. The first idea of foreknowledge, when he looked in the future and he saw people, maybe he saw you. You were presented with the gospel. He saw, like, you know, in, in creation before you were even born. He saw you and, and he said, you know, Tom is going to receive the gospel and therefore I elect him. Therefore, I choose him. So it's on the condition of, of his, his heart being willing to say yes, his heart being willing to say amen, I, I believe in Jesus. That's one idea of foreknowledge. There's a second idea of foreknowledge. It's same kind of deal. God's still the same. He's in the eternal now. He sees everything. But when he looks forward in the future, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the second idea is much more of a relational term. Foreknew. Foreknow. Before the creation of the earth, God knew you, is the idea of foreknowledge. He, he knew you in a sense of the biblical language of intimacy. The biblical idea of knowing someone, it's a very intimate idea, a very close relational idea, that, that God knew you before you were born. And so it, it's not based on what you would do with the gospel, it's based on God's knowledge of you, his love of you in the eternal past from our perspective. Okay? So there, the, the, first, the first view, if you were, it it's really emphasizes human freedom, human responsibility to choose. The second idea of foreknowledge, it's much more on the, 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 the choice of God, his sovereign choice, his sovereign determination to choose regardless of any condition. It's unconditional. Okay. So uh, those two views over the centuries, uh, you know, they ebb and flow in different countries and different denominations and in different uh, parts of Christendom. They, they have their ups and their downs and there's battles sometimes and clashes. I, I know of believers that hold both views, that love the Lord Jesus, that are godly Christians. And, and, uh, and, and you know, there's a mystery to it. Uh, there's, there's evidence in the scriptures for both arguments as I've tried to, to work it out in my mind, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still learning and I'm still praying for God to give me uh, wisdom and discernment on which, which way to, to fall on. Because I see evidence, is scriptural evidence for both views. But nevertheless, notice what Paul's point is. <laughs> According to the foreknowledge of God, before the creation of the world... Christians who are suffering, Christians who are going through hard times, Christians who are living in a veil of tears, he chose you. 
The attacks might still come, the brokenness that you'll continue to experience in this world, the suffering and trials and tribulations. They seem to be unrelenting, but no Christian that God has chosen you to be part of his kingdom. God has called your name. He's written your name in his book of life. He's been working since before creation to bring you to himself. Since you were born, he's been working in your life. Even today, he's working in your life. He's chosen you. And he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He's not going to stop. And, and Paul, Peter's point here is that don't give in to despair. Don't give in to hopelessness. The circumstances that you're experiencing in the world, yeah, they're hard. They're, they're heartbreaking. They're destructive. They, they rip us apart. They destroy families. They destroy marriages. They destroy communities. They destroy nations, the, the evil in this world. But don't you lose heart. You are the chosen. You are the scattered seed in the dis dispersion waiting for your home. You are God's, and thereby you are ultimately safe. Once he chooses you, once he sets his grace upon you, he never lets go. May grace and peace be multiplied to you is the benediction there, the, the welcome, the greeting. But think about this, it, it goes farther. Uh, those of you who have been elect, chosen, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, and then he brings in the Spirit. Chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, we think typically, that's it, another big word there, another word that needs some explanation. When we think of sanctification, usually we think of it in the sense of once we've been justified, we've placed our faith in Christ, we've been declared righteous, justification, just as if I've never sinned, then God, once we come alive, he starts the process of sanctification. Gradually, he sets us apart to be gradually changed over time, transformed over time. But in this, in this setting, the way it's set up, it looks like what, what Peter's intending. We've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, and in, by means of the sanctification of the Spirit, uh, we're born again. Uh, just the way the passage flows, we, it's probably referring to the beginning of the, sanct the, the sanctification process. Uh, in our conversion, there's a regeneration. And again, the order of regeneration and conversion or conversion and regeneration <laughs> debated in, in, among scholars, among different pastors, among different theologians. But Peter's point is, God the Father chose you. God the Spirit is, is working to bring you to life. He has worked to sanctify you, to set you apart, to start you on a path that will keep going until you get home. Start you on a path from justification to sanctification to glorification. God is at work in your life. He's not going to stop. For obedience to Jesus Christ <laughs> and for sprinkling with his blood. And we look at that and boy, there's that order there is really interesting. And so uh, one of the ways of interpreting this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, okay, the, the Spirit is working in our life for obedience to Jesus Christ. There, there's a couple ways to understand that. For obedience to Jesus Christ, that we would believe the gospel. 
that we would say yes to the command to believe the gospel, obedience to Jesus Christ. We'd say yes to trusting him with our life. Yes to trusting him, to saying, yes, Lord, I need you. I repent. I agree with you, God, that I, I, I'm a sinner in need of grace. I say, yes, I'll, I'll take it. Um, for obedience, to say yes to Jesus initially and to, say, to stay obedient for the rest of my life to the word of God. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So the Spirit is working in our life to say yes to Christ and say, yes, I, I want to come under your reign. I want to come under your blood. I want to come under your death so that I can live. Now, the way it's set up again, it's, it's a different order that we're used to. And so there's the different authors say the, the salvation kind of pathway in different ways. But notice, Christian, that this is a work of the Trinity. God has chose, chose you, the, sanct, the Spirit is sanctifying you, and, you, and Jesus did the work to save you. God is at work. God is working. God will continue to work. And so in the, this, this welcome, this ancient welcome, this ancient salutation, he's saying, God has chosen you. He's working in your life. He's saving you by the blood of Jesus. These trials, they are hard, and they're challenging, and they hurt, and suffering being mocked by people because your faith in Christ, being thrown in jail because you're a Christian, having your homes burned because you're a Christian, it's no fun. But who are you? You are the elect, exiles of the dispersion. <laughs> May grace and peace be multiplied to you. P Peter's hope is so, is so big. He's like, yeah, these, these things are temporary, but who are you long term? These things are going to happen those of us who have lived long enough, we know that suffering is part and parcel of this life. But we look forward to the coming of the king. We look forward to the coming of the kingdom of God. We pray, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's going to happen. Paul says, you are God's chosen. Don't you dare forget it. He's worked. He's working. He will work. Don't you give up. Then we move on to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. By God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. <sighs> There's books in that. There's been dozens and thousands of books written just on those themes. Give thanks to God. In other words, blessed. Praise be to God. Uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, there's so many things we could parse here. So uh, Peter says, the God of Jesus Christ, probably pertaining to Jesus' humanity. And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, probably pertaining to our Lord Jesus' divinity. And he's the Lord Jesus Christ, means that he has all authority. <laughs> he's the boss. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For Christians who are suffering, Christians who are being persecuted, remember this, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And so it just keeps, keeps adding up here. Mercy, what, what is mercy? Well, it's, 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 a, it's part of a, a cluster of things that are underneath God's goodness. God's attribute of goodness Okay, so God, God's goodness, it, it plays out in his patience, his long-suffering to sinners like us. He's just so patient with us. It's part of his goodness. His grace, 
his unconditional favor towards, <laughs> towards sinners like us. Okay, his unconditional, his unconditional goodness towards people giving them things they don't deserve. Mercy is, is a part of that goodness in the sense that God's love towards those who are desperate. Mercy is God's love to those who are hurting. God's love towards those who are broken. God's love to those who are trapped. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given sinners like us new life. He has given broken people like us a new beginning. He set us free, free forever. Amen. Our God has done great things in his great mercy. In his unrelenting love, he's drawn near to us and He's loved us. He's pulled us out of the pit. He's pulled us out of our desperation. He's, he's rescued us. Our slavery to sin, he took us away from that. Our slavery to death, our hopelessness. He's given us mercy. He's given us new life. You know, uh, a new life, the, the idea there, uh, you're regenerated, you're born again. Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter 3, you must be born again. You must be born again. A new life and and. This passage, Peter says, well, guess what? God in his great mercy has caused you to be born again. God in his great mercy has done the work. God in his great, great mercy has given you a capacity, a spiritual capacity to, to relate with God, to be reconciled to God, to know God. What great mercy for those who are trapped in sin and, and hopelessness and death. But new life, it... it kind of begs the question, new life for what? New life, do we just get it and then we just go on with our normal life? No, the idea is you receive a new life so you can keep living a new life. A new life is going somewhere. A new life is going to result in something. A new life is an eternal life, something that never stops. A new life is something that doesn't cease to be. It goes on and on and on. So it's a new risen life, a new godly life, an, an eternal life that goes on forever. Praise be to God. Um, maybe you're in the depths of despair today. Maybe you're depressed today. Maybe you're broken today. Peter says, praise your God today. You have something beyond today. You have something beyond these hopes that have failed, these dreams that have fallen apart, beyond these broken families that we are living in. You have a new life, a new future, a new, new hope that will never end. And it's going to be a glorious life when you get home. It's going to be an incredible, never-ending, perfect, sinless, without evil life. Have hope. Rejoice in what you have, even in the midst of what you're losing, brothers and sisters. In his great mercy, he has given us, uh, he's caused us. <laughs> he took the initiative. He started it. His, he's loved us. He's pursued us. He's made it happen. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, what, to, okay, he's caused me to be born again to a hope. I, I can understand a living hope. 
as, to, as opposed to what? A dead hope, a false hope. You see, a, a, a living hope is something that is sure. It's a certain hope. It, it, it's a true hope. It's not a false hope. Uh, there, there's uh, all kinds of religions out there that truly offer a false hope. You, you, you do this for the gods. You, you live in this way for the gods. You, you give this way and the gods have to take care of you. Uh, you, you, you have a certain path you walk that is truly false. It's an empty hope. It's a dead hope. But Peter is saying, we have been given a living hope, a certain hope, a sure hope, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You realize that if Jesus had not come up from that, that tomb, if he had not been brought out of that grave, our faith would be worthless. He said he would die. He said that he would be buried. He said on the third day he rose, and he did rise. He came to life. And brothers and sisters, because Jesus came to life, you have a living hope. You have a sure hope. If he was buried and no one ever saw him again, if Christianity started to get rolling then, people would say, well, how do I know? It's kind of a questionable hope. But because Jesus is alive, your hope is real. Your hope of a resurrection from the dead is real. Your hope for a tomorrow, your hope for the kingdom of God coming is real. All the promises that God has made that are yet to be fulfilled because Jesus rose from the dead, we can say they're coming. Yes and amen, they're coming. They're going to be fulfilled. We have a living hope, a true hope, a real hope. The promise is maybe that the government is made to you sometimes in the past. <laughs> you can put your hope in those. Sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. Sometimes some of your family members have made promises to you, right? They, they've risen your hope up and you hope for what's going to happen and then they let you down. So many of the promises of the world, you, you, you put your hope in it, you find out it's a false hope, an empty hope, an untrue hope. But brothers and sisters, Peter's saying to people who are suffering, people who are broken, people who are in pain, people who are afraid, he's saying you have a living hope in Jesus Christ because he came from heaven to earth. He went to that cross. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He's alive, a living, breathing hope. In what? <laughs> well, it just keeps going. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Some of you probably have, by this time, uh, received some of your inheritance from uh, passing family members. Uh, maybe you got a cabin from a great uncle. Uh, maybe you received uh, some money from your grandma who passed away. Maybe you received this or that. You've received inheritances. There are different inheritances. You realize, uh, brothers and sisters, that we are heirs of the kingdom. We are heirs of something greater than anything that uh, can be given in this world by our parents or our grandparents. We are re receiving an inheritance that cannot, cannot be perished. It cannot be destroyed. It, it cannot be defiled. It cannot be defiled by sin or evil. It cannot be uh, something that fades, something that diminishes. Uh, 
It's permanent and it's constant. What are you hoping in? <clears throat> are you hoping for that stimulus check to be deposited in your account? Is that your ultimate hope? I hope that's not your ultimate hope. We are hoping in something greater than that. We are in hope, we're hoping for a salvation. We're hoping for an inheritance that will never end. And you start chasing that rabbit a little bit like, well, what, what kind of an inheritance do we have? Let me give you some, <laughs> Peter doesn't talk about it very much, but there's, there's some scriptures that kind of lead us towards a certain direction. If you look at Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. In a, in a great passage about being heirs with Christ, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. You know, you've been adopted into the family of God. You've been called sons and daughters of God by God's grace. That means, as we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, if, as we keep in the faith, uh, we are promised that we're heirs. Now, Jesus is the heir of all things. And in that passage in Romans, we're called co-heirs. We're, as it were, brothers and sisters of Christ. We're in the family of God. The inheritance of God is coming to who or to whom? <laughs> it belongs to Jesus, but we're co-heirs with Christ. Just, just running down that path a little bit more, if you look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, uh, so we're co-heirs with Christ, but what, what, is, what is Christ going to get? He's the heir of all things. The universe belongs to him. Everything. He created it all. He made it all. It belongs to him. Uh, in, in Corinthians, we're told that at a certain point, he's going to return everything to the Father. You know, it's, it's deep mystery, the Trinity, what all that means. But it belongs to him. He's the heir. And we're co-heirs. What, what, what does that entail in practical terms? Look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Verse 5. And the Beatitudes about, uh, he's teaching them about faith and what it means. And blessed are they, he said in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. In Christ, those who have placed their faith in Christ, we've come into the sphere of Christ. We've been united with Christ. We've been tied to Jesus in his death and resurrection. And in him, we will inherit the earth. Now, not, not this earth that's, that's going to burn, right? The renewed earth, the new heaven, the new earth that God will bring about. The inheritance that we have is great and grand, and, and we, we really shouldn't put any limits on it um, in the kingdom of God. If you look at Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give from the spring of water of, of life without payment. And so beautiful imagery. But the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I'll be his God, and he'll be my son. Some of your translations say the one who conquers will have this inheritance. Speaking of verses 1 through 6. Beyond that, speaking of all the promises of God. In the book of Revelation, it's kind of the, the summary, the end of the book, <laughs> the Bible. All the promises of God, the inheritance that you have, you're going to have as your inheritance the kingdom of heaven. You're going to have the universe <laughs> in Jesus. It's his. We're co-heirs with Christ. It boggles the mind to think about the inheritance we have, the future that we have. The enjoyment we'll have, the creativity we'll have to use in the new kingdom, the new heaven, new earth, the way we're going to live, the way we're going to work, the way we're going to be. Our inheritance goes so far beyond what we're experiencing now. It's so much grander than anything you can receive from parents now. It's so much broader and so much more beautiful and so, so much more glorious than anything anyone can give you because you're a son of so-and-so and a daughter of so-and-so now. Brothers and sisters, we are sons of the king. We are children of the Lord God Almighty. And we will inherit all that he has for us. As you're suffering loss today, or as you're being ridiculed by people because of your faith in Christ as you're suffering maybe deeply because of hurts and pains, because of family situations or darkness. Brothers and sisters, Peter says, look up. Remember where you're going. Remember what God has promised. You have reasons to rejoice. Whatever the darkness is right now you're suffering, you have reasons to rejoice. A joy that goes beyond all circumstances. You have a future and a hope it's incredibly bright, glorious even. Don't you give way to the darkness. Don't you be covered by the depths of this pain. Remember who you are. Lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing nigh. So the inheritance is a beautiful thing. Uh, in the way that it's played out in First Peter, the way it says it, you have been brought into an inheritance that <clears throat> is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Some of you, I think, maybe, uh, maybe you've gotten an inheritance. Maybe you got a cabin from somebody and, and it burned up in the re recent forest fire. You lost it. Or maybe you had an inheritance that you, uh, you invested and, and the stock market lost it. The inheritance that you have from God, it's kept for you. It's safe. It's secure. 
It's unperishable. It's undefilable. It's unspoilable. It's undiminishable. It's safe. But brothers and sisters, what good is an unperishable inheritance if you perish? That leads him to say what's next. You have something that's kept in heaven for you, and you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being shielded by God's power until the salvation that's ready to be revealed is revealed in the last time. Brothers you ha- and sisters, you have an inheritance kept in heaven for you, but you are kept for that inheritance. We have, a, we have a, an inheritance that's kept safe, secure, but you are shielded by God's power. Whatever comes, whatever ugliness and difficulties, whatever sufferings or pain, trials or tribulation, God has you. You're shielded, you're guarded, you're kept for the kingdom. You can imagine some of these people that uh, had been jailed for their faith, how much that meant to them. Some of these people who had lost everything, who had become the scum of the earth, according to their neighbors, how much it meant to them to remember that no matter what happens, God's got me. God's got me safe in the palm of his hand. Whatever the world throws at me, whatever the evil people do to me, I'm secure and I'm safe. I'm kept forever. Not by some uh, security agency, not by some internet uh, you know, software protection. I'm kept by the power of God. Omnipotent, all-powerful, the Lord God Almighty reigneth. And he reigneth over me. And he reigns over you. In your trials and tribulations, remember you are safe. So verse 6 Paul kind of goes on a digression here. He, he's been listing all, the, all the, uh, the reasons for hope, the reason for joy. And, and then he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, man, these are the reasons to rejoice. You guys rejoice. Give thanks. In your suffering, you've got all kinds of reasons to rejoice. You can have joy through any trial. Your your joy isn't isn't contingent upon what's happening in your life. Your joy isn't contingent about whether you're up or you're down. Your joy isn't contingent on how much money you have in your account, how big a credit card limit you have, how many toys you had under the tree. It's not tied to that. Your joy is tied to what God has promised and what God is giving, what God will do. But, though now for a little while, um, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter's acknowledging that they're going through some stuff. Again, later on, he calls it a fiery trial. Why? Our question is, why why do we suffer? Why do we go through these things? Why don't you just make it all right, God? Well, verse 7, there's a so that. Um, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, trials and tribulations, verse 7 says, so that, if necessary, so that. God, I don't understand why I lost my loved one. I don't understand why that happened. I don't understand why I'm going through this garbage and falsely accused, whatever. Peter says, yeah, these trials, 
They're temporary. They come for a short time. Don't, don't let them drag you down. But sometimes they're necessary. Necessary? Yeah, so that your faith will be proven. So that your faith will be strengthened. Said it uh, in verse, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God brings trials and tribulations in our life so that our faith will become strong, so that we'll grow up in our faith, so that we lack nothing. You see, we need a faith to make it to the very end. We need a strong faith. We need a resilient faith. We need a strong faith in the promises of God, a strong faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so by God's grace, he gives us trials to exercise our faith. What would happen... Christian, if you had a perfect life, if you never had to exercise faith, your faith would be wimpy. It would be like your muscles would be flabby and useless. God wants us to have a strong faith so we can carry on to the end. He compares our faith to gold. You know, like gold, it's a, I, I guess, I, I don't know, I, I read it. The, it's a metal, it's a very resilient metal. It, it, it's, it lasts and lasts and lasts. But, but gold, it, it, to be purified, it has to go through the fire to remove the dross, to remove the impurities. Brothers and sisters, our faith, <laughs> because we're people born into certain families, born into certain cultures, our faith needs to be purified. Our faith needs to be cleansed. And how does it get purified? It gets purified through trials and tribulations. And you know, as you live enough life and you go through enough trials, you're able to stand back one day and you realize your faith is real. It's not fake. It's real. It's genuine. It's true. That's a grace of God, a gift of God to have that strength to make it through. He can contrast our faith with gold. He compares it, but he also contrasts it. That gold perishes, though it's tested by fire. Right? Gold will perish. It's tested by fire. Your, 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 your faith won't perish if it's a true faith when it's tested by fire. Your faith is more precious than gold. You can have all the gold in the world. I'd rather have a strong faith in Jesus Christ. All the gold and all the treasure of the world will perish. My faith in Jesus will lead to an eternal life that will never end. And so it says here, more precious than gold that perishes through fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes back, that's when full salvation comes. Like uh, when Jesus Christ comes back, there, there's a salvation that's coming. You would ask Peter's, Peter's audience, hey, you're saved, brother, rejoice. And, and he'd be like, yeah, I'm saved, but my house just burned down. Hey, you're, you're saved. Yeah, past tense saved, but man, there's, there's, they just put my kid in jail. There, there's a salvation, a spiritual placement that we have in Christ. We've been united with Christ, we're saved, but there's still a salvation coming. A deliverance from all the evil. The kingdom of God will come, a deliverance is coming when we'll we be totally saved and rescued and delivered. And our strong faith, when that day comes, when the Lord Jesus comes, when he makes all things new by his power and his grace, as he comes to reign and rule, 
it will result in that day in praise and glory and honor. Every faithful act, every faithful obedience will be blessed by God, will be something that will result in praise and glory and honor by God's grace to those who keep the faith. We need a strong faith, and so God gives trials for the outcome, for the long-term effect, for the coming of salvation. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you have a year that is easy. <laughs> Wrinkle-free. But in Jesus Christ, if pain and sorrow and tribulation come, you have a living hope. Difficulties, ugly happenings, terrible things that transpire. If you have to go through the fire this year, turn your eyes to Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes to the truth. Turn your eyes to God's promises. Remember who you are. Rejoice and live in hope in Jesus, the King, in his coming kingdom. Would you stand, please, in his presence? Our Lord God Almighty, we, we ask for your blessing. In 2021, we ask for your, your blessing, Lord. Uh, not for our own glory, but for your glory. Oh God, we, we pray that you would do whatever you want to do in our lives. You've already blessed us beyond measure. You've already made promises that are glorious and wonderful. We have a bright and future. So Lord, we ask that you would, you would come into our lives and, and bless us in any way you see fit, any way that you want to accomplish, any, any purposes and plans that you have. Bless us, Lord, so that we can be a blessing to you and so we can be a blessing to the world. Lord God Almighty, send us out. Please let us not forget the hope that we have of a bright and glorious future. Send us out into this dangerous world, Lord, but bring to mind often and at various times and places the joy that we have. And let us continue to worship and praise and live for you whatever comes. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. Thank you for making us part of your family. Thank you for choosing us, for calling us, for making us yours. Thank you for the work you've been doing in our lives. Thank you for what you have planned in the future. We give all glory to you this day, all glory to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless everybody. Go in the peace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity 
or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.